0: Might be made right with him, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day, so that we might be justified. So let's go back now to Second Corinthians chapter five in your pew Bible. That's page eleven forty-eight on the top left of that page, and we'll spend our time looking at two verses this morning. Two verses that are going to some of your hopefully your favorite verses after this. And some of my favorite verses. We have seen last week, well, look with me back at verse 9, which is on the previous page in the Pew Bible. We make it our aim to please him, whether we are at home or away. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But Paul's not going to be just motivated by fear. Fear is kind of like a sheepdog. If you want to get the sheep to go in a certain direction, you can send a sheepdog out, and that sheepdog will scare the sheep toward a certain direction. But a shepherd leads the sheep differently than a sheepdog. He leads them by his voice. And a sheepdog, probably in his training, sheepdog are usually smarter than sheep. A sheepdog will be controlled by the master's voice. Come here, Spot. Sit down, Spot. Stay, Spot. Go back there, Spot. And you can see how the master controls the sheepdog with his voice to do multiple things. And it's not just fear of getting, uh, getting beat by the master. The, the sheepdog and the master, the shepherd, have a close relationship. And they work closely together. And whatever the master or the shepherd says, that's what the sheepdog does. We are not like sheep that have to be scared to death all the time to do what God wants us to do. There's a higher motivation than just being fearful of standing before the judgment seat of Christ. That, that fear is, is needed when we're in disobedience as we saw last week. But there's a higher motivation, one that should control us, not just terrify us. But there is a control for us one that motivates us to do certain things uh to go certain places and one that motivates us not to do certain things and not to say certain things and not to go certain places so verse 14 of 2nd corinthians 5 says here's our second motivation and it's greater than the fear of the lord which is the judgment seat of christ that's the future there's a greater motivation because it's in our past For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The greatest motivation in all of the earth is love. And we can say that we love our fellow man, and if we won't do hard things for them, that love is not the love that's mentioned here. The love that is mentioned here, as you could probably imagine if you have studied God's word, is the same love of John 3.16, For God so loved the world. The same love that we are commanded to have for our enemies. uh, That husbands are supposed to love their wives. That wives are learned to love their husbands. And this love is self-sacrificing love. Outside of the New Testament, this Greek word agape is, is used very, very rarely. And it's almost like exclusive to the New Testament in its day. This is an almost an exclusively Christian word. That the world can love as family naturally love each other. That the, um, there are other words are of sexual love that are common uh, in, in this day in the, which the New Testament is written. But the agape love that, uh, that is so prevalent in almost every book of the New Testament is almost exclusively just in the Bible and the best love that will control us is the love of Christ why do we need this passage of Scripture this is a lengthy reason Christ's love is so unmistakably clear to all of his followers there is not one follower of Jesus Christ who is fuzzy on the love of Christ. All of us are followers of Christ, having known, studied, understand, convinced, and submissive to the love of our Savior. This is not unclear. Any gospel presentation, the love of Christ is the central theme of that presentation. Therefore, it is our highest and most consistent motivation to do only what pleases God. Love sent our Savior to earth, and when he was on earth, it was said of Jesus that he only did what pleased the Father. Why would Jesus go to the cross? Because he loved the Father, and the Father had the best plan, the best rescue plan, to rescue us, poor, helpless, dead, lost sinners. And as he rescues us, we look at his his rescue and say, man, our God has loved us. And when we meditate on the love of our Savior, that love fuels us to go and to speak and to not go and to not speak whatever it is that pleases God, whatever we see in His Word, it's not hard for us to obey when we think of the love of our Savior. It's impossible for us to obey in our flesh, but it's not hard for us when we meditate on the love of Christ. I have said this before, but our path back to the cross in our own personal lives should be a well-worn path. We should go back there often, personally, Privately, And here's what I mean. When we can't find it in our heart to forgive someone, when we can't, whatever it is, we can't love our enemy, as we're told to do, when we can't get along with our spouse, when we can't get along with our siblings, when we can't, whatever it is, we can't stop sinning, can't stop lusting, can't stop hating, can't stop whatever it is that we know is wrong and we just can't stop doing it. What's the solution? We go back to the cross. And all of our sin is hanging there on the cross. And we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I don't want my sin any longer. Thank you for paying for it. Please forgive me for knowing what is right and doing what is wrong. As a Christian, God's love is unmistakably clear to all of us. So it is our highest and most consistent daily, hourly, minutely, if that's the word, motivation. It's the love of Christ. You cannot meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ and his love for you too much. I'll challenge you this week, try it. Try to think about Jesus and his love for you on the cross too much probably have the best week of your life. The love of Christ, as the songwriter says, if all of the ocean was ink and all the sky of parchment or paper, we don't talk about parchment today, a roll in a scroll, if all the sky was parchment and all of the all the ocean was filled with ink and every person on earth a scribe to write the love of God would drain the oceans dry. And it would fill, and all of the sky could not contain the whole of the book that would explain to us and expound for us the love of our Savior. That's a rich song. Christ's love is what motivates us to please him. If you and I struggle to please Him, if in our parenting our children are struggling to please Him, if in a classroom of Christians that students are struggling to please Him, those students, those children, us adults, we've got to go back to the love of Christ. And Paul not only just tells us about the love of Christ here in a short phrase, he tells us a thought process that he wants us to have. It's wonderful to know how to think. Because often our, our our minds are scattering. I'm so like that. Oh, look, something shiny, <laughs> and I go, and then I, and I think about that, and then something until something else comes along, and then oh, I want to do that, and I want to do that, and I want to do that, and before I know it, I've wasted a lot of time chasing things or thinking about things that, eh, you can take it or leave it when you really think about it. But when it comes to the love of Christ, you can't think about it too much, and we actually have some help here and how to think of the love of Christ. Well, let's look at verse 14. We're going to look at every word here. For the love of Christ controls us. Paul doesn't say, as he says uh, back in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He tells them, and he, it doesn't sound like the fear of the Lord is controlling Paul because he just goes on from there and, and doesn't mention it uh, much after that. Instead, he says, here is what's really controlling our decisions as ministers. Here is what controls our life. It's the love of Christ. If you're a Star Wars fan or any other fan of any um, spaceship, if you're going to infiltrate the enemy territory, you have to take over the control room. The control room is not on the outer edge, the loading dock where the ships come in. No, the control room is door after door and stormtrooper after stormtrooper after stormtrooper away from easy access. But if you can get access to the control room of the ship, you've conquered it. And if God can get the control room of our hearts, he's got us. He can control us. This is the Holy Spirit's job, as we have seen at least 13, 14 things that the Holy Spirit is doing for us believers in First and Second Corinthians. And this is what he's going after, to control our lives. You say, I don't want anybody controlling control my life. Okay? But you don't know God. He's a perfect master. And when he controls your life, your life gets better, not worse. And he allows us to control our lives for a time. And realize that around us is chaos and destruction and inside of us is anything but peace and joy and love. Until we give our lives over to him and say, God, whatever you want for my life, it's yours. Whoever you want me to talk to, whatever you want me to do or not do, my life is yours. My body is yours. My tongue is yours. My mind is yours. Everything about my life is yours. That's living now, the world says that looks like slavery. And we say, in Romans, yes, it is slavery, but to a perfect master. And he is worth slaving over for because he treats his slaves perfectly. And he's great. And we're going to live with him forever. Why are we going to live for him with him forever? Because of his love. So why won't his love control us? Because we don't want it to. We want to please ourselves. As we saw in the chart last week, that we struggle with self being in control. And we resist the love of Christ. And we would say the love of Christ controls us sometimes. Some, where, where I want it to control me, it controls me. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like I'm in control. I'll tell God when the love of Christ is going to control me or not are you serious can't you see the arrogance and pride in that that way of thinking and Paul's gonna challenge us in this way of thinking to not have self be in control and we're fine if self is not in control so look at verse 14 the love of Christ controls us why does the love of Christ control us because we have concluded this now a conclusion isn't at the beginning but here Paul starts with a conclusion. You say, okay, conclusion at the beginning. Now I know some of you that like to read murder mysteries or mysteries. You skip to the end. And when you skip to the end, you ruin the story because you know how it ends. And you can read the book of the Bible, the, the Bible in the 66 books, and you can skip the revelation to see how it ends. Like, okay, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of fighting and warfare, and judgment and and chaos, and and um, the death of our Savior, and his resurrection, and the persecution of his people after, and they're running for their lives. And yet, at the end of time, God wins. Christ wins. The end of the story. Paul's going to start here with a conclusion as he is reasoning. And as he's thinking, and Paul is a very good thinker because he knows the Old Testament well. He was a rejecter of Jesus Christ for a while and tried to like many religions today, try to uh, just work their way to God and try to be justified right with God with just his good works. And he realized it was Christ alone. Christ knocked him off of his horse, literally onto the ground, blinded him for three days, and opened his eyes spiritually to who Jesus really was. And Paul says, calls Jesus Lord, or not in the slave culture. That's, that means master. And Paul submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord on the road to Damascus, and his life was forever changed. And he is going to tell us that the love of Christ is controlling him, everything he does. And it needs to control us and everything that we do. So, how does he come to this conclusion? He's going to tell us how he comes to this conclusion. But first, he tells us this conclusion. Verse 14 is the conclusion that one has died for all, therefore all have died. One has died, now he is writing to those who are believers, not to the world, not to those who don't know him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, we'd love to sit down with you and tell you that God is holy and can't overlook your sin. God is uh, is just and he will judge your sin. And God is loving, and he has reached out to you in Christ. And then God is gracious and offers you salvation as a gift. We'll go through that with you slowly and help you understand the love of Christ. But this passage is for believers. Because believers are, only believers are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul's writing to believers in Corinth and persuading them with the fear of the Lord. And here he's explaining to them the love of Christ. And that's why the first slide was every follower of Jesus is the love of Christ is unmistakably clear here. So, how does Paul arrive at this? The love of Christ controls us. He's, he's come at it with this conclusion that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. You can take this a couple different ways. One could be Romans 5 8, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's not exactly where he's going here. He's telling us that if if someone had to die for us, then we should have died on the cross. If someone had to take our place, then we were guilty and deserving of death on a cross. That's part of it. Christ died for us. Christ died for all. Of us. And I think here, in particular, it's for believers. That's who he's writing to, and all believers know this. All believers know the love of Christ. But I think it's also for the world, right? Because God so loves the world. He dies for all, and God loves them and dies for them in their sin and died for us in our sin. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. So in dying for us, it says here, we have died with him. If that's, that's the point here, I think he's, he's driving home, that he is thinking about this. Now, Paul doesn't come to this conclusion the first time he thinks about the cross. Now, Paul's meditating on this, probably day and night, and God the Holy Spirit's bringing these thoughts to his mind, and he's reasoning about, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. If Christ died for me, then I died. He's dying in my place, but he's also dying the death. I should have died. But he's also dying to show us how to please our Savior, how to please our Father. Christ dies for us, yes, but he also dies in perfect pleasing of his Father and Isaiah 53 tells us, it pleased the Father to crush Christ. Where does he crush his son? It's on the cross. How do we know the love of Christ? When he dies. We have all died. And notice the therefore. Our death is tied to his death for us. That's what Galatians 2... Now, I I say that, and I read Galatians 2 first because Galatians was written before Corinthians. And Galatians 2 says, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so Paul's saying in Galatians, I know I'm justified by Christ alone. When I trust Christ and His work on the cross, I'm justified, but when Christ is crucified, I'm crucified with Him. So that when He... What he wants me to do, I will do. So all of us have died. If we are alive with Christ, and we are, as his followers, his death caused all of us to die to our own way as well. Christ shows us how to die to self. If you are struggling with dying to self and struggling with that chart last week, of, I mean, I really might, might do the right things, but I do it for the wrong reason. To get doing the right things for the right reason and stay pleasing God, it's the cross. Go back to the cross, meditate on how all of your sins, all of them, were on Jesus when he died on the cross. He paid for all of them. You have to pay for zero of your sins. Jesus paid for them all. Why? Because... He loved us. And Paul's thinking this through. Why should the love of Christ control Paul and should control us today? Because he's thinking if Christ died for all of us, then all of us have died. We really don't have a life apart from Jesus. And everything we have is because of him. We really don't have, here's my life as a Christian, here's my life elsewhere. It's all one. And it all should be, I just live to please him in this passage. So he continues. He gives us the conclusion that Christ died for all of us in our place. And then the consequence of that conclusion. Since Christ, or therefore, since Christ has died for all of us, All of us have died. Romans is going to tell us more about this, but this is where this concept starts in the New Testament and and, and adds to what we saw in Galatians 2.20. What's it mean to be crucified with Christ? How do I think because I'm crucified with Christ? And it's all the love of Christ that's motivating Paul to think this way and controlling his thoughts. We can't think what we want, how we want, whatever way we want to just to please us and how we figure out how to control other people. No, the love of Christ controls us, and when it controls us, what is the result is our life pleases Jesus Christ and Him alone. And the love of Christ controls Paul's mind, and he's concluding that if one died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15. And now he's going to reason more about, show us how he got to that conclusion by, and he died for all, talking about now the purpose for Jesus' death. That those who live, now that is only believers, because those who live cannot be unsaved. The unsaved people are dead in trespasses and sins, and that comes after in Ephesians 2, but we understand that that we are not alive to Jesus Christ. We know from the passage that that you weren't on the path that led to life unless you believed the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, and you weren't guaranteed a resurrection that would lead to eternal life unless you turned from your sin and trusted completely in Jesus Christ, following him as your Lord and Savior. But here he says in verse 15... That he died for, and he died for all, that those who live. So why does Jesus die for all? What does it mean that all have died in verse 14? What does that look like in life? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. Have you ever said, get out of my way? stop wasting my time my money my life you gotta be careful with that because usually it reveals a heart that is selfish that i'm trying to control something and when people aren't getting the fact that i'm in control of me and i'm in control of my room and my stuff and my car, and my house, and my vacation, and my, 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 my. And if they submit to me, then life is good. And if they don't submit to me, ho, 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 wrath. No. Me, my mind is not in the equation here at the love of Christ at the cross. The cross of Christ, the love of Christ controls us. I've died with Christ. There is no me, my, my stuff, my way, my time, my money anymore. You say, does God just want us to give everything away and let people come and trash our house and steal everything? No. We're stewards. Just like Joseph was a steward in the the house of Potiphar. He didn't own anything. Everything he had to oversee. God allows us to oversee a bank account oversee cars and houses and and vacations and everything else that we have. But all those things that we have, including our children, grandchildren, are just gifts from God to please Him. And what helps us to want to please Him with all that we have and all that we are? The love of Christ. It really does control us. It controls everything we think, everything we say, everything we do. And if you're not thinking this way, meditate on this day and night. These are two simple verses here with profound truth. Verse 15 continues. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And as we learned in Sunday school, he was raised. This death is not like someone who dies and is their, their death does really nothing other than it extends our life. No. Christ's death on the cross, showing us that his perfect love would not even stop him from going to an awful death on a cross, separate from his Father, bearing the wrath of our sin for three hours, and forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken. If you and I struggle to please God with our lives, go back to the cross. Here's why Jesus dies for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. The only reason we're still breathing is Jesus' love. The only reason we're not going to burn in hell for all eternity is Jesus' love. The only reason we're going to be on our faces worshiping him for a good part of eternity, I don't know how long, is Jesus' love. And anything he wants us to do in heaven will be done perfectly and with the right spirit. Why? Because we're going to be in the presence of his perfect love. And now what motivates us today is something that has happened in the past that is written, that we can read and study and meditate on. And it's changing us from the inside out that we want to please ourselves when when Christ rescued us. And as we grow as a Christian, more and more of our life is controlled by the Spirit, submissive to the Father and the Son. And whatever God wants us to do, whoever He wants us to be friend, and however He wants us to live, we're willing participants in this and not saying well god i'm not going to do that are you serious you're telling the almighty who rescued you by the love of his son that you're not going to do something that is clearly what he's revealed in his word that you should do like loving your enemy no god you don't know what they did to me okay go back to the cross look at what they did to my son okay i want you to love the world like that okay god i will Look at the blood flowing from his back and his face and his side. Look at the blood flowing from his hands and his feet. And you're going to tell your bleeding Savior, no, I'm not going to do that. What arrogance and pride we have that we would put limits on the love of Christ and tell God how he's going to control us or what we're going to do and not do. We have one option when we are controlled by the love of Christ, and it is that we would live, no longer live for ourselves, but only live for Him who died, who for their sake died and was raised. What does Christ's love control us to do? In verse 15, it controls us away from living for ourselves. Away from selfish motivations. Away from self altogether. What self wants, it does not matter what self wants. Self doesn't get what self wants. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us. It doesn't really matter what I want. What pleases God? That's the motivation. That's the right questions to ask yourself. This is how we parent. It's not about who had the toy first. It's about what pleases God. It's not about what he or she said and all the reactions and now we're all fighting. No, it's what pleases God moving forward. That's really what it boils down to. And if we're willing to go away from self and toward our Savior, you will find that you'll come to the same conclusions Paul came to here. I've died with Christ. What I want doesn't matter. It does not matter if... What God is asking me to do, like Stephen, even kills me. It does not matter. I'm just laser focused on pleasing God. We should no longer live for ourselves, it says in verse 15, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We only live for him who for our sake died and was raised. That's it. Live for him alone. This is what his love controls us to do. It's always going to control us away from ourselves. What did Jesus say? If you want to be my followers, you have to deny yourself. It matches this. Take up your cross daily. What does take up your cross daily mean? Be motivated by the love of Christ daily and follow him. Follow Jesus how? Showing, learning from the love of Christ, being motivated by that love and then ministering. That's the passage, the whole passage about ministry to other people because the love of Christ has ministered to you. You're now seeing the glory of God and reflecting that glory to other people. So your enemies need to see the love of Christ. Your love for them? You say, that's impossible. That's right. Impossible in your flesh. All of the fruit of the Spirit is impossible in your flesh. You need the Spirit to produce His fruit in you. And the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. Anything that Christ asks His followers to do in the New Testament motivated by the love of Christ any lesser motivation any self motivation is going to fall well short of pleasing God so his love give you some practical things here to think about his love motivates all of his children to choose to build a relationship with our Lord and Savior by listening to him and talking with him daily around his word you cannot say that the love of Christ is motivating you not to read your Bible You can't say the love of Christ is causing you not to pray. And reading your Bible and prayer is the best way to build a relationship. Why? Because talking to and listening to your friends are the best way to build a relationship with them. So open your Bible and spend time with your Lord. And talk with Him about what you're reading. Praying the Bible. The love of Christ motivates us to rely on the Lord to provide for the future as he has our past. When I think about the past and Christ's love on the cross paid for all of my sins, will Christ provide for my future or my present if I'm struggling with anything? Will God give me the grace I need for today to do hard things? Yes. How do I know? Because of the love of Christ. It controls me. It helps me think correctly. It helps me rely on the Lord and not be so concerned about how I'm going to pay for this or am I going to have enough strength, physical strength, to do this or that. The love of Christ controls me. He'll give me enough grace I need. And when death comes to my door, God will give me dying grace too. And He doesn't give us the grace ahead of time. He doesn't give us grace in our hypothetical situations. He gives us grace in our real situations so that we'll rely on Him more to get more grace. Does the love of Christ motivate His children to honor and obey their parents? The love of Christ motivates His children to be kind and tender-hearted to their siblings, forgiving as God has forgiven us. The love of Christ motivates spouses to love, respect, submit, serve, and listen to their spouse. The love of Christ motivates motivates all of us as his children to choose to build relationship with god's people in our church by listening to them and talking with them weekly around god's word and our struggles to obey it we all get discouraged we all none of us are perfectly motivated by the love of christ but when another believer tells us that they're motivated by the love of christ and how that looks like in their life and motivates us like oh yeah I know, I know 2 Corinthians 5.14 is here. And we're building relationships with God's people in our church so that as we gather as God's people, they'll be provoked to love and good works. You notice how the provoking goes back to, hey, remember what Christ did for us? Yeah, let's serve Him. Yeah, let's do. And finally, His love motivates all his children to choose to build relationships with lost who have never experienced Christ's love. You see someone who is blind physically, your heart goes out to them and think, how can I help them? Someone who can't hear, how can I help them? Someone who has trouble getting around, how can I help them? And those who are spiritually blind, lame, dead, how can I help them? I can't raise them to a new life. I can't make them be born again, but God can. And I point them to the only one who can make them alive. And the love of Christ motivates our evangelism. His love controls my thoughts and actions, staying away from anything that displeases Him. Provoking us toward all that does please Him humbly loving him, humbly loving his word, and submitting to it and others. This is what pleases him. So in prayer, at the close here, we'll pray and thank our God for sending Christ to take our place. And ask him to help us to be motivated by Christ's love and that love alone to live for him and live for him alone. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the love of Christ that controlled the Apostle Paul, that controlled other that traveled with him, the Corinthians, other leaders in Paul's day. Thank you for the love of Christ that controls many throughout church history and is controlling many believers today in your church to stay faithful to you, stay submissive to you, And to always be thankful for sending Christ to take our place. We really have died. We really don't have anything to live for except for Christ alone. Help us to think this way. And help the love of Christ to motivate us. If it's not, I pray that it would motivate us afresh this week. Send us all back to the cross. Help us to read its story. And think about why he was doing it. And what does that mean for me? Help us to willingly submit to our Savior. And however and whatever he wants us to do, help us to be willing to do it, no matter how hard. Because we just want to please you. In Christ's name we pray.